And uh, Muhammad Ali went out to the mound to, to throw out the first pitch. Um, and again, like we kind of talked about, his you know, his his muscles were 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 waning on him, and coordination is was getting more and more difficult for him at that point. Um, he tried to throw out the first pitch, and they did a you know a big announcement. He got up there, he threw out the first pitch, and didn't get uh, to his son in the air. And everybody started clapping and cheering, and <laughs> and they were ready to move on with the game. And Muhammad Ali wasn't ready to get off the mound yet. He wanted to give it another try to see if he could get a little closer and a little further. So it was kind of a funny exchange where they're going back and forth, back and forth. It was clear that he wasn't going anywhere. And so they, <laughs> they gave him the ball back and gave him another try to throw throw the ball over. Um, he didn't make it that time either, but, uh, you, you know, he gave it one more try. And, you know, again, there's probably a little message he was sharing with people in that instance as well. Then the game went on. That was that was pretty cool to kind of watch that whole thing. I actually kept one of the little game programs and had a, a autograph from the money. So it's hanging out in my basement. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad that you're joining us today. Now, in this episode, we talk with a guy who is a former journalist. Uh, he's now a craft beer ambassador. He's also the personality behind Taps McFurkin. You'll find out what that is here in a little bit. Uh, his name's John Liberty, and we talk about his storytelling craft, his successes, his stumbles, his journey. In other words, his story as a storyteller. And before we get into today's conversation, just a reminder, uh, you can find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, where else to find us, and of course, other resources to help you tell your story. And if you like what we're doing here, please do consider leaving us a review. It helps us to reach new storytellers, and that's what we're here for. And if you don't like what we're doing, hey, no worries. Turn it off, walk away, change the channel. Tell somebody that we're doing great work anyway, all right? <laughs> all right, and uh, hey, just a quick word too. Thank you so much to Podcast Pilot and Casterly for supporting this movement. If you want experts on the podcast world in your world, kind of like you know how to start your own podcast maybe too, you can talk to the teams headed up by the legendary Jamie J. and Sarah Parrish. So thank you very much to Podcast Pilot and Casterly. Now, let's get to the stories. So yeah, John Liberty is joining me today on the Storytellers Network, and it's cool because you know so far in season one here we've thought we've heard from some some authors, book writers, this kind of a thing, kind of your quote unquote normal writer. But John's a little bit different. John, as I said in the intro, former journalist, uh, entertainment writer. Um, John, your your Twitter bio says you're a writer, so I assume you consider yourself a storyteller, right? Yeah, yeah, just a little different format than what I had done uh, previously. Although I still get to. Uh to do the old fashioned uh, print publication writing from time to time. So right on, right on. So so let's start I like to start at the beginning that the idea is storytellers can be anywhere in the world and you can do this, especially with with technology, anywhere. So where geographically are you in the world right now? I, I am in snowy Kalamazoo, actually. Kalamazoo, <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> Excellent. So so proof that you can write anywhere, you're in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Of course, now not only do you do writing, but 
being in Kalamazoo, you're surrounded by craft beer. So we'll get to that part of the story in a minute. But so you're you're a craft beer guy, right? Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> geek nerd, something, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> craft beer geek, I like it. Um, so so you consider yourself a storyteller, right? Correct. Somewhat, yes. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. Uh, what what is it about writing and storytelling that you got out of as a journalist? I mean, is that did you consider yourself a storyteller when you were a journalist too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think when I was when I was younger, I was I kind of found myself entertaining some of my my younger friends by telling usually tall tales or whatever else, <laughs> and just kind of making stuff up on the fly. And then as I got <laughs> older, I started kind of appreciating sharing fun fun tales with with people, although with a little more fact based uh, behind them. So yeah, I kind of got bit by that bug pretty late in the game uh, relative to probably most folks. And I was in uh, the first couple of years in, in college and, you know, discovered, uh, you know, a passion for it and then wanted to see what, what kind of tools I needed to build to, to make a, to make a go of it. So, you know, kind of, kind of turned into basically hounding everybody I could figure out and around Kalamazoo and Western Michigan university where, where I studied on what I needed to do uh, to, to get where I wanted to eventually go and uh, kind of, Kind of went at it that way, and you know, started kind of in the sports world, actually doing sports journalism, and found that while you know covering games or events or whatever was was fun, I was more interested in finding those deeper stories and the, the personalities and motivations behind people, um, and then that kind of spun from there into the world of entertainment, arts, and culture, and, and food, and then uh, like we kind of referenced there. Uh, beer sort of found its way into my into my world <laughs> do you have kind of a favorite memory of being a journalist and telling stories and and how that you, you met somebody you had to do something really cool tell the, the coolest story what's one of your favorite things that happened during that time yeah one of my well early on in my uh journalism career i was still in school i think it was interning and i actually uh got to uh to go out on a saturday morning uh, in the summer to check out a, and cover a, a field dedication for a little league ballpark in Niles, Michigan, uh, which at the time was the uh, home of Muhammad Ali and his, his family. His uh, son was in the league and Muhammad Ali and his wife and their, their son there in the morning getting the field already. There was a horrendous storm the night before that knocked out a significant amount of power, not only Niles, but the surrounding area. So they actually had a, a generator running so that they could, uh, have some music and, uh, and and provide some play-by-play for the game. But, you know, I, I, I had a, a pretty good knowledge of, of Muhammad Ali and I'd watched a couple documentaries. Um, and then, you know, to kind of go down there and see him in person was probably one of the, you know, neater moments of, of a lifetime, regardless of if you're covering it as a journalist or anything else, just kind of kind of seeing him and the way he operates. And at that time, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, communicating verbally one of the, the cooler moments of that of that day, there were a couple of them, but one of the, the cooler things was that he set up under a tent uh, on a long a series of long, eight-foot-long tables and signed autographs. Um, they also had a number of T-shirts that, that uh, people could buy as part of, you know, fundraising efforts for the, for the field in the Little League. And uh, Muhammad Ali sat there for hours signing autographs, but he'd also doodle. I remember watching over this little kid's shoulder as he, you know, slid over a T-shirt with the intention, I believe, of just getting a, a autograph, and uh, Muhammad Ali, um, and his, you know, his hands were vis- visibly shaking. He took uh, a couple markers and he drew a penguin flying over mountaintops, and then signed his name on this 
on this kid's little t-shirt. So it might, you know, you, you can read into that what you'd like, but it certainly seemed like he was telling the kid you can do anything you want, regardless of what people tell you, which was kind of a, a cool thing. And then later in the day, they had uh, uh, Muhammad Ali throw out the first pitch to his son, who was significantly larger than, than the most of the kids that he was playing with. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not much in the way of uh, uh, height myself, um, and, and his son was... Uh, I was even at that young age, but uh, so his his son was was the catcher, and uh, Muhammad Ali went out to the mound to, to throw out the first pitch. Um, and again, like we kind of talked about, his you know, his his muscles were 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 waning on him, um, and coordination is was getting more and more difficult for him at that point. Um, he tried to throw out the first pitch, and they did a you know a big announcement. He got up there, he threw out the first pitch, and didn't get uh, to his son in the air, and everybody started clapping and cheering and and they were ready to move on with the game and Muhammad Ali wasn't ready to get off the mound yet. He wanted to give it another try to see if he could get a little closer and a little further. So it was kind of a funny exchange where they're going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, it was clear that he wasn't going anywhere. And so they, they gave him the ball back and gave him another try to throw throw the ball over. Um, he didn't make it that time either, but uh, he, you know he gave it one more try. And you know again, there's probably a little message he was sharing with people in that instance as well. Um, and then they... Then the game went on, but um, that was that was pretty cool to, to kind of watch that whole thing. I actually kept one of the little game programs and had a uh, autograph from the money, so it's hanging out in my basement. But, oh, cool! So. Nice, nice little benefit to being a, a storyteller, getting to see those stories unfold like that. That's cool. I yeah. Like that. Now, now you mentioned John a little bit ago that uh, you know you can remember being young and telling tall tales, this kind of thing. When did it really kind of set in, though, that you had the gift of storytelling? Um, well, I was pretty, I was pretty nervous starting out. Um, one of my first kind of major assignments uh, was to go out and cover a hockey game between Western and, and University of Michigan. And it was kind of my first road assignment kind of thing. Um, I was on deadline and everything else. And, um, the hockey game turned to be a pretty, pretty nasty affair, quite a bit of chippiness, uh, throughout the whole thing. Um, and you know, it was, that whole world was, was pretty new to me. So I was very, very green. Um, oddly enough, I grew up in Ann Arbor, um, so it was kind of strange to go all the way back home uh, to to write that that story. But um, so you know, at the, at that time, there was a lot of energy to write about, which was pretty easy to capture, or, or, or capture, I should say. Um, so I cranked out the story and 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 shut it off as quickly as I could. And um, the, the the sports editor at the time uh, gave me some really nice compliments and said that he uh, thought I did a terrific job on the whole thing and you know for me i was so so nervous i guess and just trying to get it cranked out that um it was all kind of a blur and then i read back after it and i'm like yeah okay so that works so that little boost of confidence actually um kind of early on anyway set in uh much a little validation and then there were a few other uh, my earlier days to the newspaper um spending a significant amount of time with some people some pretty uh tremendous stories um and some of the things that they were willing to share led me to believe that um you know I, I was doing something right in at least establishing a, uh, a relationship and then a certain element of, of, of trust so mm. so does that kind of give you any ideas of advice to writers who are kind of young in their career what would you tell them to to keep keep doing right or what would or to, to get better at it i guess to consider themselves a storyteller well yeah i, I and i don't know if this is this is right or not, um, and, and editors all over the place are probably going to scream uh, <laughs> at me for saying it. But um, it, it, in my mind, that you know, the, 
while the deadline may be important, it shouldn't be the uh, what dictates what, what happens in the interviewing process and everything else. Um, in particular with some of what, what we used to call feature stories, uh, sort of the, the deeper dive personality uh, pieces um, with, with that require heavy lifting and a significant amount of research. And also, um, you know, you, re- you really need to get everything right. And you need to talk to all the people, whether or not they are interested in talking to you or not. So, um, you know, do your best to meet the deadlines, but don't don't cut your story short um, because of them. So, um, you know, make sure that you're you're talking to everyone you need to, um, and, and oftentimes repeatedly. Uh, a lot of that depends on the subject matter, um, but uh, in my mind, that was always a thing that I. I'm sure it was was mentioned to me, but something that I identified right away that if if you can't do it to its fullest, uh, back off. Tell people you need more time, and and go back and and do it right, and take your time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right on. Um, so, so you're a writer, as, as we've established, but you're not a journalist anymore. How do you get that writing fix nowadays? Well, we do uh, some some writing um, on our on our website. Um, we've also been fortunate enough to do. Uh, a few uh, cover stories for the Michigan Brewers Guild's uh, relatively new uh, magazine that they put out. So, got a couple other publications reach out to me on on some shorter articles. So, I've been able to kind of do that a little bit. There's a couple other um, uh, publications that have expressed an interest in doing it. So, um, luckily, I get kind of uh, a good deal of leeway and and creativity to kind of come up with uh, different content and concepts um, versus sort of the standard stuff that. Um, that, you know, that may be proposed or something like that. So yeah. um, instead of just doing my five favorite beers, I try to come up with something a little little more different. Uh, for example, like a five favorite, uh, either like decor or uh, art installations or things like that at different breweries. Those are one of the pieces I did recently. So it gives me a chance to jump back out and, and do stuff um, that way. And then from a storytelling standpoint, I kind of had a unique, uh, and still do, I guess, um, vantage point on, on Michigan's craft beer growth. Um, got pretty heavily involved in it when it was still relatively young. Um, so I was able to make some nice contacts with, um, or now some of the, the leaders in the, the Michigan beer industry. So they kind of have that historical perspective and share it with people that may be discovering Michigan beer uh, for the first time or maybe only for a, a year or two. It's kind of a, a fun thing to to share the level of, of growth and how exciting the industry is at, at this time. Yeah. So, so let's get into that a little bit. You, you mentioned the website that you, you, you write for the website and, and you're talking beer. So share with the storytellers network listeners, what exactly you're doing now and how that storytelling has, has kind of evolved into this new, I mean, not new, but this, this new thing for you. So, so what are you yeah, doing so now? I, so I, I'm the, the co-founder and general manager of uh, West Michigan beer tours. So we, provide public and, and private guided tours uh, to breweries around West Michigan. So that, that includes Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Holland, Muskegon, um, Benton Harbor, St. Joe, and up and down the, the lower lake shore and all the community breweries in between. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 to 140 different breweries in that whole uh, range. And that, that number kind of continually grows. So uh, my job is basically to, to create uh, customized experiences for people on on private outings, so you know, birthday parties, bachelor bachelorette parties, family reunions, corporate outings, you know, post conference entertainment, that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then we also do a number of events that are just sort of our, um, you know, sort of a more standard tour that uh, are repeated throughout the year and people can, can join us um, and, and go on a, a walk or a bus tour to, to learn a little more about uh, Michigan's uh, craft beer growth. So this is where kind of my, I guess the storytelling elements overlap because, um, you know, it was around 2006, 2007 when I was uh, still working at the, uh, the local newspaper here uh, when one of our editors um, kind of tasked the uh, newsroom to uh, better utilize the, the website, uh, which at the time uh, you know, was, was, was not being utilized to its, to its fullest. And there was quite a bit of, of um, improvements that needed to be made to it anyway. Um, and so this was kind of the early process of that. And so we were tasked to come up with interesting, unique content that would live online and may or may not make it into the, the print world, which at, at that time was kind of like a, crazy concept i guess uh, i think the school thought was that that maybe poaching one from the other and I don't, you know what's this internet thing gonna do and all that kind of stuff um anyway uh so myself and a, a couple of my uh, uh close friends and co-workers um had, had sort of uh dipped our toes into local beer and michigan beer and uh like like any good conversation uh it was over a, a pint of beer and kicking around idea of of doing a, a beer blog and there wasn't a whole lot like that at that time. Um, and so we put together a little presentation to our bosses asking if we could start uh, Calama Brew, uh, the beer blog focusing on West Michigan beer uh, that kind of morphed into um, a statewide site. Although, you know, at, at the time we didn't realize it would. So the name was certainly pretty um, local intensive, but uh uh, the neat thing was that we were, we were one of the, the, the few outlets for, for uh, Michigan beer news outside of, say, the Michigan Beer Guide and a few other outlets. So from, from you know, like mainstream media, at least from a local uh, perspective, uh, we were offering a pretty kind of fun take on things. So um, that's where we started making a, a lot of connections there, uh, traveled all over the state to check out these uh, different beer festivals and and uh, meet different brewers. And so we started uh, doing brewer bios, so background stories from individual brewers and, and brewery owners. Um, and at the time, that was all still still kind of a new new thing for a lot of the brewers, uh, including those that are, uh, like I said, sort of the leaders in the industry right now. Um, so we, we kind of share some of those experiences um, with, with, the, with the readers um, as that grew. Um, you know, there's there's more and more stuff to cover. So at that time there was something like something between 80 and 90 different breweries in the state of Michigan. And now we're well over 330. So, um, there was a significant amount of growth that occurred at that time. Um, and we were, we were pretty lucky to have that, that fun, fun seat for all of it. So we had a, a goofy little, uh, a mascot, little plastic guy. It was an old Labatt toy from the fifties or sixties. And, <laughs> We, we we had a naming contest on our blog, so Taps McFurkin was his name. He's still around with us. He's, <laughs> I've I've now taken him as our the official mascot of the the brewery tours. He's been to Belgium and uh, up and down the West Coast and Colorado, and we've mailed him all over the place to a bunch of friends to have him go on beer journeys and take pictures with him. So, but yeah, it, that was kind of that was kind of it in a in a nutshell. We we did that for quite a while, and then um, you know things started really picking up around around Kalamazoo and, and West Michigan and uh, a good friend of mine and uh, a wiffle ball teammate, 
um, play here in the Kalamazoo Wiffle League. We were out having a, a beer after a game, and uh, he was asking about some of the breweries in the works and whether or not uh, they would be a good investment opportunity. And kind of, you know, as an aside, I, I said, well, I think it would be really great is if there was some sort of entity that can kind of explain to people how, how unique and, and special this growth is, uh, in particular that it happened you know, right when the uh, state was going through a pretty nasty economic downturn. Um, so share some of those stories and then kind of turn it over to the brewery as we visit there to, to kind of do another, you know, a deeper dive and talk a little bit more about formations, different, different recipes, why they choose the styles they do, mm-hmm. um, how they went about getting into the beer world. And then generally a bad beer joke or two gets worked into the <laughs> conversation. And, and that's that. So, um, yeah, a couple of years ago decided that, uh, if I, if I was going to do this right and we wanted to grow it to where we wanted it, um, I wasn't going to be able to, to be, to be doing both working at the, uh, the newspaper and also running the, the, the brewery tour company. So, uh, jumped over full time and kind of hanging on tight ever since. I can tell you one of the toughest things about that transition though, is when, um, when I talked to, to my, uh, my bosses at the, at the paper that I was planning to, uh, be instrumental in this, this new company and that there was a, uh, obviously a big beer component to it. Um, the conversation was, I had that, you know, that I would no longer be able to write about Michigan beer because of the potential conflict of interest. Um, so that was tough to have to walk away from, from a beat that, you know, we had, we had built up. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, um, but yeah, been able to, um, kind of take some of those contacts and uh, a little bit of the context of Michigan beer and, and uh, apply it to uh, what is a, a beer tourism company yeah. now. Oh, that's cool. That's a great story, John. So he, kind of a kind of a joke, but kind of funny. Like you mentioned, newspaper a couple of times. Can we still call it that when it's, now it's all digital? Instead of thinking of like, <laughs> right. well, you, you're gonna bastardize right, know, from yeah. one to the other, but like <laughs> now it's all right. digital. So. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Right. Yeah, it is. Well, there's still you know there's still a couple of newspapers that end up on a front porch here there. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But now it's all digital. That's anyway. a good point. I didn't think about it. Because <laughs> I, I struggle with that myself, just as a side note to the listeners. Like, what do you, you know, I have friends who are still in, in media, who are in newspaper, you know, and writing journalism, also in radio and in TV. Mm-hmm. And radio, radio TV is kind of the same thing. They all have websites. But, like, what do you call it? So newspaper still works anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, what do you love about telling stories, whether it's as a former journalist or as a beer tour storyteller? What is it that moves you about storytelling in general? Um, well, well, for me, mostly it's kind of uh, the reaction from 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 those that you're that you're talking with. Um, you know, like I mentioned, kind of had I, you know had a pretty unique perspective on things. So, um, to, when you start throwing those those big numbers out and give people a, a sense for how successful the industry is, just to kind of see them, you know, do that little, you know, the eyebrows raise and then a quick nod to somebody <laughs> that kind of thing like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Or I just learned something or whatever, um, that, and then, um, watching them kind of experience, um, a, a, a new favorite beer for the first time, uh, within the context of sort of our mobile to- uh, storytelling <laughs> deal mm-hmm. is, is, is really cool. Um, and kind of get more into the individuals behind it, why they do it and some of the sacrifices they make to get that, uh, 16 ounce product in their hands um, is is a pretty fun thing. So I guess to to boil that down, I guess it'd be the uh, the, the reaction on on the faces of, of people discovering something new, whether it's information or flavor combinations or 
or just kind of a, a deeper understanding, something they, you know, they have a, a pretty good interest in. Yeah, that's pretty powerful, isn't it, John? I like that. Um, what's yeah. what's one of your your biggest challenges though with storytelling? We know what you love, but what's something that's a big challenge for you over the years? Well, um, with, with some of our outings, you know, the groups vary from from incredibly attentive, wonderful question askers to uh, people that just want to have have some beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so balancing the, um, the, you know, the, the, the degree of, of communication we have, uh, during, uh, our, our stops in between the breweries and, and kind of gauging what people want to want to know and hear. Um, so trying, that's been something that's been an interesting, I guess, storytelling skill is to, to figure out, um, what, what that audience, uh, is looking for as part of this experience. Um, and even within that group, there may be a couple of people that are much more interested in certain portions. So kind of figure out who's, who's the most engaged in what's happening and, and how to kind of have a you know, valuable interaction with them, whether or not it's with the whole group or just a couple of people. Um, and then after, after a while, everybody, uh, ends up, you know, kind of picking your brain a little more to hear more things and stuff like that. So kind of balancing that, um, that the, the fun side with the, uh, the storytelling and, and educational side is, is an interesting thing to try to to try to balance. Um, but that's kind of more the, the experience uh, portion of it. But just from, you know, the starting a, a, a business, um, time management, uh, you know, sanity, <laughs> all those kind of things that, that a lot of people um, that, that, that start small businesses of all kinds all over um, kind of have to learn to develop and, mm. Utilize your time as best you can, but also realize the, the value that you, you present and offer and, and how to, uh, how to kind of balance it all out and still make sense, make an impact and, and, uh, and still pay the bills kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And as, you know, as, as a marketer, uh, I love that you went down that road of no, basically know your audience, like whether you're writing, yeah. whether you're creating video, whether you're giving an, an oral presentation, knowing your audience I go back to that all the time when I'm talking to people about marketing, know your buyer persona, know your audience. Don't be everything to everyone. Um, so I, yeah. I like that. That's pretty good. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the, the storytelling is fun, but then there's everything else paying the bills, all that. So <laughs> good, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. What, so that, I love that. Um, so how, you know, with, with all the social media out there today, different platforms, everybody's attention is really short. Um, how are storytellers, supposed to get those stories out in today's uh, landscape of everything going on <laughs> yeah, and make money doing it. Is that- yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can tell you the old industry I, I was in, uh, they're, they're still asking that question on a pretty continual uh, basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know that I have a good uh, singular answer for it other than, uh, you know, try, try it all. Um, and, and, uh, you know, gauge, gauge a response from, from people, but also kind of take into account, um, your experience with it, because, um, if you're not having fun telling that story, even if the story's great, um, the likelihood of you <laughs> doing it again or doing it as well the next time around, um, maybe, uh, you know, a little, a little more difficult to achieve. So kind of balancing between doing what makes you creatively, um, uh, feel rewarded, but also, that has some sort of uh, tangible impact on, on readers, whether it's numbers or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, don't, I try it all, keep experimenting with stuff. Um, you know, if, 
I, I guess no, no idea can be too goofy. Maybe it can, I don't know. But, <laughs> um, you, know, just, you know, I referenced Taps McPherk and there's a couple, couple ideas I'm kicking around with him and tying him into basically a little promotional campaign during a, a, a big beer week coming up here in a little bit. So uh, kind of like a weird, where's Waldo with our, our goofy little yeah. four inch plastic figurine hiding in breweries all over town. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> nice. I don't know. I, yeah, that, I guess that in a nutshell, that would be kind of it. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, yeah, make, making sure that you're, you're pretty satisfied and proud of the work that's being done as well. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes, you know, for me, it kind of goes back to that marketing idea that uh, for, I, I like to say, always be testing, right? So many, so many yep. salespeople want to be always be closing, but for me, it goes always be testing, try it out. Don't be afraid to, to try that new platform. And if it works great and if not move on, um, but yeah, or yep. try those, those goofy campaigns. That's great stuff, John. Um, I, I like that. So, uh, so we're talking to John Liberty, uh, co-founder of West Michigan beer tours, former journalist, storyteller, uh, writer at heart, John, how has social media affected the craft of storytelling in the world today? Do you think? Uh, well, certainly changed the game. Um, um, sometimes for the better, other times maybe not, I don't know. Um, but it, it you know, one thing that it, it's always kind of interesting to me, at least on that end, is that you have some pretty direct and, and real time measurables on, on what it's doing, who's, who's identifying with it and, and to a certain extent why. Um, so I think, you know, kind of using that old word again, newspaper, you know, you really didn't have a, a clue um, how people were responding to certain things other than if they went out of their way to let you know, or, or you asked them kind of thing. Um, whereas now, um, you know, you can, you can get statistics, you can see, uh, reactions from people and who's sharing what and with whom and where and why. And, um, so some of the, the measurables there, I think, uh, certainly, um, create a, a certain, uh, advantage. Um, you know, I think you, you talked a little bit about it too. I mean, there's so many, so many platforms, so many ways. To, to reach people and the, the attention span is, is fairly limited. So, you know, I think that certainly plays a big role in, in, in that too. Um, how you go about telling the story, how much time you have to tell it and what key elements have to be there uh, to get that, that story across uh, that, you know, that, that seems to be increasingly challenging, at least for the long form uh, mm. stuff, which, you know, kind of going by the wayside, I guess, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a powerful tool. It's just kind of a, kind of a delicate little little monster so um yeah harnessing it as best you can has always been something i i gotta admit to you i i and i don't know if there's some old soul bouncing around inside this tiny body or what but i still you know i i use it all the time we've got multiple accounts on a number of platforms i could always be doing better i'm sure um but uh i've never been a huge fan of any of it mm -hmm. um I see value in it, but I, uh, I am sort of a, uh, uh, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm certainly sounding it right now. Um, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I kind of begrudgingly, um, use some of it. And so, mm -hmm. um, that's where having a friend like Taft McFerkin to kind of take on this persona and tackle some of that for me, maybe uh, a good way to go on <laughs> some, <Yeah>. some projects, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, you know, for, from our standpoint, uh, sharing, sharing live, uh, you know, photos during our events, you know, right directly to Twitter and Facebook and everything else, Instagram, um, is, is a pretty neat way to, uh, connect with those, those folks. And then they share it with their friends, you know, you know, especially 
like fun birthday parties or, or big milestone moments um, when, when people are really having a great time and enjoying the company and, and the beer is good and the experience is, is exclusive and unique to, to that day, that audience and whatever else is um, kind of a fun thing to be able to capture in that sense. And there's clearly a story that's happening there as well um, that they're going to take back and tell in their own way. Um, but it's fun for us to kind of capture a couple seconds of it there and share it with people and then tell them to tell all their friends how great it was so they can do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or for the first time or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Empower so, them to be your evangelist, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think as a writer making it uh, looks like? Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. I remember, or, or at least yeah, to you anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you know, there's, there always has to be, um, a significant level of that creative pride where, you know, where you, to a certain extent, you did it on your, your terms and the way you wanted to do it with your unique voice. Um, um, so I think keeping, keeping that, that sense of, of ownership, um, never feeling like it's kind of getting taken away, I guess, is that the right word? Or that, mm-hmm. that you're still, it's still yours kind of thing. Um, has got to be paramount in all of it. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I guess constantly, um, constantly improving and, and working towards, um, being better at those things. You know, I, you know, we, we all try to take little mental, mental notes and even physical notes about a certain, um, experience and kind of bounce things off each other. This is myself and our staff over what, you know, what worked, what didn't work, why we think it didn't work, why they didn't respond in certain ways and how we can, how we can make it a little different next time around so that if we get a similar group, um, they would enjoy this little part a little better or that kind of thing. So, um, you know, we're, we're constantly kind of reviewing your own processes, um, tightening up where it needs to be tightened up. Um, but also keeping that, uh, creative control, um, and then, you know, making it, there's gotta be, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta do the work. Um, you've got to make sure that you're, uh, pouring everything that you've got into the, the project. Um, and then when needed, get a little, a little downtime and relaxation to kind of clear the vents or whatever. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, I, I, and I don't know that there's um, necessarily a, a monetary element to it. Uh, that may be different to, for some people more than others, um, you know. Um, but you know that 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 may be it, a little a little level of comfort there financially at some point. But um, I think most most people that are in, that, you know, again, I mean, there's all sorts of forms of storytelling. So whether it's uh, as a as a writer or a marketer or salesperson or however, you know, you, you choose to fall into the storytelling uh, circles. Um, you know, I think uh, trying to be, being comfortable with where you're at, uh, what you want to do. You know, there's different ways about going about all these different things. Um, and I don't know that I'm answering your question very well at all. I'm walking in circles and talking in circles. So, um, <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Maybe I'm battling with this thing all at once. I, I don't have a, a, a clear answer to any of it, I guess, other than those are my kind of initial thoughts, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess to me having a, that, that big element of creative pride has always been kind of big for me personally yeah. anyway. So sure. Well, and I think that helps. I mean, I think, you know, storytellers 
uh, are at all different levels, right? And hopefully listeners of, of the podcast yeah. here are at all different levels. And for those who are like, okay, when am I ever going to feel like I've made it? Uh, other, you know, other storytellers have told me, I don't, I still don't feel like I've made it. I've written five books and I haven't made it. But other, other folks say, oh yeah, you know, I, I've made it when I have that freedom, when I have a little bit of financial, I like, I always want to get better. I'm not ever done, but I feel like, yep, I can say I've made it. I'm a writer. So it's different for everybody. And I just like to hear that from different storytellers. So that's yeah. good stuff, John. Yeah. Um, so it's my last one for you. Uh, I want to keep you in the hot seat for one more minute here. Um, if yeah. you could, oh, if you were only allowed to tell one last story, what would you want to go out on? What would that last story be? Yeah, I struggled with this one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, and I, I guess I'd, I'd have to kind of cheat the question a little bit. Um, sure. Because um, it, it, it's not really one story; it's a series of stories. But I, by cheating, I'll, I would make it all one story, I guess. Um, but just prior. Um, to, to starting work in the industry we talked about earlier, you know, some more to probably about 12 years ago we're talking now, uh, my, my wife and I, well, my then girlfriend, now wife, um, did sort of a whirlwind nine-week European backpack trip thing on like $3,000, um, which was um, nowhere near the amount of money required for that trip, uh, <laughs> which we almost found out in a pretty uh, a dramatic way. Um, but basically we were able to skip around Europe and thanks to the kindness of uh, one Australian woman, three British friends, uh, a recently heartbroken Frenchman and his 1980 Ford camper van um, <laughs> and a handful of others. We were basically able to see uh, more parts of, of Europe than we thought was, was possible. And on, on next to no, no money every day. Um, and uh, you know, it, it kind of thinking on it from a storytelling perspective, you were kind of condensed the whole trip down. It's almost like a, a children's book kind of thing where they, you meet all these crazy colorful characters that lead you on all these crazy paths you never thought or something like that. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of felt like that now looking back on all of it, you know, I've, I've got a couple of kids now and there's no way I'd let them do what my, uh, what my wife and I did. Um, and uh, certainly would have made sure they had um, some way to get access to money, which we didn't have. We didn't have, cell phones, um, all that other fun stuff, which, which made the adventure, you know, what it was, I think not, not having, you know, reviews, online reviews to check on where we were going to go and, and get our single slice of pizza <laughs> for a split or something like that. But, um, yeah, that was, um, you know, it's, it's, it stretched us, um, uh, obviously financially, but, um, you know, emotionally and, and creatively in our, uh, sense of adventure and things like that, all, all those different you know, every, every little uh, emotion and, and, um, sense was kind of, um, on edge and heightened during that whole trip, just cause there was so much, so much happening all around us and so many decisions you had to make all the time without knowing the language. And, and just the, I mean, the series of events that happened during that nine week trip was probably the most, uh, intense, crazy, rewarding time. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty hard to describe all of them. But anyway, that would be the story that I just bounce around and tell as best I could, hitting a couple of the highlights and just making it into one sort of meandering story that eventually ends, ends happily. Yeah. So. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. I love that's a That's a great story. I, I hope you tell that story someday because that'd be a great memoir or something, you know, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of, I mean, the, the people that we bumped into them and the, the manner in which we bumped into them, it was almost when we were 
kind of right at that that edge of losing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is this isn't gonna work. Our 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 whirlwind trip is, is crashing and burning. And it was like right when you got almost to that point, you know this 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 chubby British guy comes walking out from behind a tree and says, "You guys need somewhere to sleep." And then <laughs> that sounds a lot worse <laughs> than it is. He ran the campground and then he gave us this uh, this room in the uh, base of the Swiss Alps for a week for for nothing. Oh, wow. Pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. All kinds of goofy stuff like that. Um, Very just... cool. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, John, I appreciate it. So where, where can people get in contact with you? The listeners that want to, you know, if anybody's traveling to West Michigan, wants to take a beer tour or yeah. just get to know you, where can they find you? Yeah. West Michigan beers or West Michigan beer tours.com. Uh, then we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've got my own stuff. Uh, we've got stuff for the company and then, Captain Perkins floating around. I think he's only on Facebook right now, but he might be making a, an appearance on different platforms. Very soon. So awesome. Yeah. Well, John Liberty, a pleasure to have you on board today. Uh, really appreciate it. I'll have to get up to one of those tours uh, very soon, man. So <laughs> yeah, thanks again. And I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity and some of the questions were, were uh, pretty excellent, a little thought provoking. So I'm glad, I'm glad we got into some stuff. Well, I'm glad. Thanks for taking time with the Storytellers Network listeners, and uh, we'll talk again uh, very soon, I hope. Sounds great. Thank you so much to our guest, John Liberty. What a pleasure to chat with him and learn more about Michigan beer and about the storytelling experience from a former journalist. Uh, Great stuff, John. So as you find out, you can find him online. You can find all those links on our show notes, so definitely do that. And hey, if you're around the Kalamazoo area, book a beer tour. It's good stuff. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, email, text. I don't care where you share it. Share it everywhere. Anywhere that you can connect uh, with other storytellers is always helpful to us. So thank you very much. And speaking of helpful, please consider leaving us a review. That's always helpful as well to spread the word, build up that, that subscriber base and more listeners and tell more stories. Hey, to our partners at Casterly and Podcast Pilot, thank you. Thanks for making the world of podcasts a better place. Jamie J and Sarah Parrish and the rest of the team are terrific humans and you'll be better off knowing them. Without their support, the Storytellers Network would be just a dream. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and here's to having stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.